Let's go to the book of Exodus. I'm just going to give you a little um, background here. We this is a two-part message. Last week we uh, covered the first part. The message is called the two crossings. The two crossings. Now, in relation to these crossings, of course, we're looking at Israel and the two crossings that they had to make. But there's also two localities. There's Egypt and the Promised Land, and these two crossings are in between these two localities. Uh, Egypt is a picture of the world, of the lost world. That's where you were before you were saved. That's where you were when you were in bondage. And the Bible says you walked according to the course of this world, according to your lusts of the flesh and so forth, and you lived in bondage. You're on a course, you didn't even realize it, but the Bible says it was according to the prince of the power of the air. Now that's talking about the devil, because really he has dominion on this earth. And people that are lost, that don't have Christ in their heart, they walk according to that course, and they don't even realize it. And each one of you, at one point in your life, were like that. Uh, but what happened is, if you are saved, you got born again. And when you got born again, you kind of took an about face, and now you're working against the current. And that's why it's difficult as a Christian. Some people think becoming a Christian makes things easy. <laughs> and, well, uh, I mean, the, 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 bur- the yoke is easy, but in all reality, you're walking against the current of this world. And uh, more and more, we see that as the world gets worse and as, a, as we as Christians want to get better, we're finding that there's more of a conflict between the two. And you don't have to go very far to see that even on the news, they're starting to recognize that. Uh, when it comes to abortion, when it comes to gender, when it comes to this, that, or the other, there are really two opposing views here, and they're clashing. But what you want to make sure is that you're on the Lord's side, amen? That's the important thing. And so the, there's the world, and then there's the promised land. The promised land was that land that was promised to Abraham, that out of him a great nation would come, and he would put them in these boundaries, these, this land boundary. And that was the land of Canaan. And so he went there and he had started establishing himself. But because of Joseph's situation there where there was a famine and he was sold into slavery, uh, the family followed him there after it found out that he was alive. And they started growing there. And of course, the Pharaoh at that point was friendly towards them. But the Bible says there came a time where there was a new Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph. And so over 400 years, the children of Israel were in Egypt and they were being placed under bondage, enslavement, being made to work uh, for Egypt. And that's really the course of the world, you see. Uh, it was so bad already that at that point, they were, they were crying because of the reason of their bondage, the Bible says. They weren't crying to the Lord. Why? Because they didn't know him anymore. They didn't know the God of Joseph the way that Joseph did. In fact, when they cried, they weren't praying. They were actually crying because of the bondage. Yet the Lord heard their cries and sent a deliverer called Moses. Amen? And of course, Moses was used to bring Egypt out of, uh, out of uh, bring Israel out of Egypt after 10 plagues were given. Those 10 plagues, each one of them, were showing the Egyptians and the Israelites who God really was. He isn't a frog. 
He isn't cattle. He's not the son you worship. Uh, he's not all these things. He is the capital L-O-R-D, the Jehovah, the self-existent one. That one is the one that is God. And that's why he showed them, I have power over all these things. I can black out the sun. I can send the frogs into the land. I can send a pestilence. I can destroy your crops. Basically, I'm the one with all power. I am self-existent. And so that's what Israel had to learn. That's what the Egyptians were supposed to learn. And then, of course, the final plague, it was introduced where the blood had to be applied from the lamb that was out without blemish. They set them apart for three days, and they applied that blood to the doorpost of the houses of Israel. And if they did that, the Bible says that the death angel would pass over that home, and they would not lose the firstborn of their family. And the, of course, the Egyptians did lose it because they had no faith in the blood. Amen? But those of us that put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says we're redeemed by the precious blood of a lamb without spot. And you know what? He came here for three years, and he set himself apart to us to show us that he was a lamb without blemish. He was brought into the wilderness. The devil tempted him with everything that he had to, to put on Christ and Christ came through with flying colors, amen? Because Christ is God. He's not a man. He cannot sin. <clears throat> and he didn't go into the wilderness to show you that, oh, will he sin or won't he sin? He went into the wilderness to show you that he is God. He never could sin, nor will he ever sin, because he is the perfect son of God. And the Bible says that God cannot lie, amen? And so he is the perfect son of God, and he proved that to us. Even to his last and final day, the pilot, the Roman governor, said, I find no fault in this man, and yet they still put him on the cross for our sin. Folks, <laughs> we have that perfect lamb that gave himself for us, and he shed his blood, so all you have to do is apply that blood to the doorpost of your heart, receive Christ as your Savior, and the death angel will pass over you as well. But if you have not, oh, if you're applying your own works and your own character and your church attendance and your baptism and all these different religious things to your salvation, I'm sorry, you will not, the death angel won't pass over. The song says, when I see the blood... I will pass, I will pass over you. Yeah. You need the blood of Christ. That means you have to put your faith in what he did on the cross of Calvary and taking his very life blood, the, the, the currency of your soul. That was the, what he paid for your sin with was with his blood. If you don't trust that, you cannot be saved. You cannot be saved. I don't care how moral you've tried to be, how many times you've been in church, it's not going to make a difference. You can go to church every day of your life and you'll still go to hell when you die. You need Christ in your heart. You need the blood applied to your life, amen. That's salvation right there. The Bible says being justified freely by his blood in Romans chapter three. You know what, what freely means there? It means without a cause. Justified without a cause. Justified means declared righteous, I have been declared righteous without a cause. It was not based on anything I did. I was declared righteous based on everything that he did for me. Amen? Justified freely by his grace through his blood. Amen? Anyways, I'm getting on the preaching before I read the Bible. Amen? I'm going to read you Philippians chapter 2. You stay in Exodus there. 
Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because salvation isn't something that's just supposed to rest in your soul. It's not something you just take inside of you, and now I'm good. I'm going to heaven one day, and that's all I need. No, no, he says, what I want you to do is, that salvation that Christ has put inside of you, I want you to put that into shoe leather. I want you to work that out towards the world. Amen? Amen? It says, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, this next line is very important. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Well, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> it has everything to do with everything. Folks, I'm going to tell you why Christians are not in the promised land today. And the promised land in the scripture is a picture of the will of God. It's not a picture of heaven. There's no battles in heaven. You don't have to knock down walls in heaven. It's a picture of the will of God. That means it takes faith for you to go into the will of God and to fight the battles of life and to do what God wants you to do and to operate within the boundaries that he has set for you. Amen. That's what the promised land is. But you know what? (laughs) Israel wasn't ready to go in. It took them 40 years. When they should have gone in in two years. When they could have gone in in 11 days. (laughs) The Bible says they could have made it straight to the boundaries within a short period of time, but the Lord took them another way because he knew they wouldn't be ready. So he's preparing their heart to cross into the will of God. That's important. You need to understand that. It's not automatic for a believer. That's why I say a majority of Christians may never understand and experience what the true will of God is for their life. The true purpose. Well, I'm saved. Israel was saved in the wilderness too. But they didn't enter into the promised land. Amen. I don't know about you, but it's, it's a big part of my heart to go into the promised land. <laughs> I want to know and do the will of God no matter what it costs me personally. I want to face the giants of my life. I want to face the battles. I want to overcome them in victory and show this world just like Caleb did 40 years after he would have gone in. He says, you know what? I'm 80 years old now and I could have gone in 40 years ago because of the faith of the people I couldn't. I'm going to show them at 80 years old. I'm going to take on the biggest giants and the, and the tallest walls. I'm going to show them at 80 years old I can do just as much as I could 40 years ago because God is still with me. Amen. It's important. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. A sign that you're not prepared for the will of God is you're a murmurer. That means you go into your tent at night and you complain. You complain about the church and you complain about the preacher and you complain about your friends and you complain about the the fellow people of God. You're not in the will of God because of murmurings and disputings. Do all things without it. Then he goes on to say that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. I'm going to tell you today the reason why most people are not in the promised land. Well, first off, they haven't made the first crossing. 
Second thing is they haven't made the second crossing. The first crossing we know that Israel went across was the Red Sea. And last week we looked at that. That was an extension of that victory that they had when the blood was applied to the door. See, but they didn't have a party after the blood was applied. They were still too scared. They were running. Amen. But what happened is when they got to the Red Sea, Moses said, stand still and see this, fear not, and, stand, and see the salvation of the Lord. So here's something, you don't do anything about this. But what I want you to do is just stand still and fear the Lord and see the salvation. Don't do anything, just see it. And that's why the Red Sea, when the Lord opened it up and they crossed over to the other side, and then the army was on their tail. <laughs> and the Lord closed it up over the army. That's the victory that we have in Christ. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth in Jesus, the Son of God. Even our faith, the Bible says, is our victory. And so as they looked back at that sea closing over top of that army, you know what they said? Guess what? We're free. We're free. We've got the victory. <laughs> So just because we got the blood applied to our heart doesn't mean we have joy in our life. Exodus chapter 15, they began to sing that song, the first song recorded in Scripture, and they began to sing because they saw the salvation. Many of us said, well, I prayed a prayer when I was five years old. But let me ask you this, have you seen the salvation of the Lord? Amen. Do you know the victory that you have because you did pray that prayer and you did trust in Christ? Do you know that the world is crucified unto you, the Bible says, because of what Christ did? If you understand that, I'm going to tell you something this morning, you have a song in your heart. And if you don't have that song, it's because you haven't made the first crossing. If you haven't made the first crossing, you're not going to make it to the second crossing. The first crossing of life is we have to have the joy of the Lord restored to us. In fact, in Nehemiah, it said that the joy of the Lord is your strength. You're not going to make it. You're not going to do the will of God without his strength. And you're not going to have his strength without his joy. You need to realize that your salvation is sure and secure. You have to have a no-so salvation. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. I told you, the first belief is the Passover belief, is the, is the blood applied to the doorpost belief. Then you have a no, this is where I've seen my salvation. And then you have a second belief, this is the promised land belief. There's no promised land belief unless you've had a, uh, a blood belief, Amen. And you'll never have a promised land belief until you have a no in the middle. If you don't know you have the victory, you'll never cross. Folks, when I took my family away from a family business that was very lucrative, very successful, I could have had uh, no financial problems for the rest of my life if I would have just continued there. But the Lord called me into a land. And it didn't make sense. To take your family and your children away from that kind of security in this world and cross over, it takes faith. Yeah. Amen. And I had to believe the Lord. 
And the reason why people aren't doing that today, in fact, some of us, we can't even make it to church because we don't have that kind of belief. And we were thinking we're in the promised land. I'm going to tell you something. There's far more to the promised land than just this romanticized idea of me just wanting the will of God. It is very practical and has very profound effects in your life. And it has a great thing that it produces from you, which means that people will be saved. uh, Lives will be transformed. Families may be saved. Whatever it is, folks, there's, there's a fruit from going into the land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Amen? But we got to have faith to go in. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. They started murmuring right off the bat. (laughs) The Lord at first, he didn't give them a hard time about it. He said, okay, I see their murmurs. Let's, Let's prove them and let's show them how great I am. And time and time again, he showed them how great he was and how he provided. And so by the time they got to the promised land, they started to murmur. He says, now this is enough. You understand? When you just get saved, you know, a little murmuring, and the Lord kind of says, okay, I'll give you that. But after you've been reading the Bible, after you've been walking with God, you're still murmuring in the tent. He says, maybe you got to send snakes into your camp. You know when he sent those poisonous snakes to bite them? All they did was murmur. That's what caused him to send the snakes. He didn't do that the first time they murmured. (laughs) Do you understand, people of God? We've got to learn some things. There's a process of growth that God has called us to, and we've got to give ourselves to that, and it ought to bring us to a place where we stop complaining about the things of life and we start doing what God's asked us to do and believe that, you know what, even the adverse situations in life and the hard things of life are there for a purpose, and God is using it in your life if you allow it to. But you're murmuring, complaining. What, what it's really doing is showing God you really don't believe that he is in control. And that's why God's offended at it. Now, that's okay when you're a child and you don't understand. But there's got to come a time through the lessons of life and the things that God has shown you that you finally begin to believe that God is real and he will take me through. And it may even get to the point where you see the battle coming and say, Lord, I can hardly wait till you show me how great you are through this struggle I'm going through. Say, no, that doesn't happen. Not for someone that doesn't want to go into the promised land. But I'll tell you something, when God puts you in a position of believing him and a a position of having to believe him by faith, that's an exciting time because what you're going to do is you're finally going to be able to see the very face of God in your life. You're going to see him work in your life and you'll be able to glorify him by the results of that. Not everything is against you. In fact, if you're with the Lord and you trust him, even the hard things of life and the negative things of life are a positive to God. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Even the things you've gone through in the past. The hard things that have happened to you. The abuse and the neglect and and all these different things that you look as a curse in your life. God can change them to a blessing if you let him. That's our God. Oh no, never. Enjoy the wilderness. 40 years of wandering in a circle. Man, that's not for me. (laughs) 
I don't want that to be for my kids. I want to take that promised land boundary on headlong. I want to face it and believe God in it. And look at those big, ugly giants, and they may be intimidating, but say, you know what, Lord, if I compare those giants to you, they look pretty puny. So we're going we're gonna to take this over. If you overcame Egypt and you gave me victory there, why would you give me victory here? Now, if you're still doubting your salvation, then I understand why you're not in the will of God. But if you have a no-so salvation, <laughs> there's no excuse that we are not all doing the will of God for our lives faithfully with all of our heart, loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, body, and soul. Oh, well, that's just a good verse. No, that's a practical truth that God is expecting. And one day we'll meet him. He said, did you love me? Well, he won't even have to ask. He says, I know you didn't, or I know you did. <laughs> Amen. He'll know. Anyways, I'll get on with my preaching. There's a distance between promised land and Egypt, and that takes growth. Two crossings, the Red Sea. We looked at that last week. And this week, the Jordan crossing. This is so interesting. So now at this point... It doesn't take long, and now we're standing here at the boundaries of the promised land. We believe the enemy's been destroyed. We believe the Lord is strong enough to save us. We know the war has been won. We sang about it in Exodus 15. We know that sin has lost its power in our lives because that's what happens when a believer gets saved. Now we're facing this crossing. This crossing I call the consecration. The consecration. The second crossing is different than the first. This place, it carried a name. After that, it was called Bethabara. And that really means the place of crossing. The place of crossing. This crossing required a step of faith, not to stand still. The first one, he said, stand still. The second one, he says, go across now we know that what happened here maybe i'll just read this in joshua 3 verse 14 i told you to turn to exodus right go to joshua sorry you're waiting for exodus i've just been quoting scripture and it's called preaching amen yeah, preaching. <laughs> joshua chapter 3 verse number 14 this is what it says it says and it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, remember, 40 years have gone by. They've been wandering. We've had a whole generation die out of the will of God because they wouldn't believe God to go into the land. Now their children are getting an opportunity. And they, it says they removed from their tents to pass over Jordan and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as they that bear the Ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest. And they say that the Jordan can get up to almost a mile wide during the flood season. So the Lord says, go across. Now they're waiting for the wind. They're waiting for something to happen. They're waiting for the water to, to heap up on each side. And God says, no, no, you just go. <laughs> but you understand, Lord, I, I'm going to drown. I got this ark on my back. I can't swim in this. Just go. And these priests, by faith, they just walk towards the water and they, they put their foot into the water and that's when God acted. 
that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city Adam, that is by Zaratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. But you know what it took? It took a foot to go into the water. So the first crossing, stand still. Second crossing, go forward. That's the difference. See, if you're sitting here waiting for the will of God in your life to kind of hit you in the head, it's not going to happen. You've got to step into the will of God. And you know what? Every time you step into the will of God, this is what's going to happen. You're going to say, you know what? This seems impossible. Well, of course it does. Because the banks are overflowing. I mean, it's impossible for you to carry an ark across the Jordan River. (laughs) Amen? But if God told you to do it, you do it. You know, the the disciples on that day, a couple of different times, Jesus said, I want you to get in this boat and I want you to cross over to the sea to the other side. And then he said, I'm going to go over here in the mountain and pray. So they got into the boat. They got about halfway across and all of a sudden the storms raged. Oh, we're going to die. They started bailing out the boat and they were fearing and so forth. And all of a sudden they saw Jesus walking on the water beside them. And the Bible says he's, he looked as though he was just going to walk past. And then they all were affrighted. And they said, oh, it's a spirit. And Jesus said, fear not. It is I. And Peter says, if it be you, bid me to come out on the water and I will also. And sure enough, he says, well, come. And Peter stepped onto the water and he started walking on the water until he began looking at the waves and the circumstances again. Then he began to sink. Now, after that is all said and done and Jesus saved Peter, because save me, Lord, he picked him up and brought him into the boat. Jesus said, you guys have little faith. He rebuked them. Now, why did they have little faith? Because they couldn't walk on water? Because the storm? No, because before they got into the boat... Jesus said, go to the other side. When Jesus says, go to the other side, you know what he means? You're going to the other side. About halfway across in their minds, they lost that faith that somehow I'm making it to the other side. He didn't say you're not going to have storms in life. He didn't say that it's not going to be troublesome. He didn't say it's going to be, there won't be scary times. But what he said is, if I tell you you're going to get across, guess what? You're going across. That's where the faith is. The faith is in his word. It's in what he says. Amen? It's in nothing that you have to concoct in your own brain. It's simply you taking God for what he says and doing it and believing it. And no matter what happens along the way, you're saying, guess what? The Jordan may be a mile wide, but you know what? The Lord told us to cross. We're crossing. Takes faith. You got to believe him. You're not going to believe him if you haven't seen the water destroy the armies of Egypt. You're not going to believe him if you haven't Uh, sang that song in your heart and have that joy in your heart about your own salvation. You're still doubting that. How are you going to trust them here? You're still doubting when you could stand still. How are you going to trust them? We got to put a foot forward. Amen? We have to move forward. (laughs) But we got to believe that our salvation is true. This crossing required the presence of God and that's why they had the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This is a crossing that is a result of your believing God is faithful, trustworthy. The Bible tells us that there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Now the next phrase is, but God is faithful. And with the temptation has also made a way to escape. Now I might be paraphrasing a little bit. But God is faithful. Do you understand? When you're going through the tests of life, if you don't believe God is faithful, you're going to be freaking out and murmuring all the time. But if you believe God, and you know what? Hey, I know this is a test. I know this is a terrible trial I'm going through, but the Bible says there's a way to escape. And he's faithful. You see, if you don't believe God is faithful, you're always going to take the wrong turn. You're always going to take the turn that makes sense. You're always going to say, oh, I can't trust God in this. I mean, he, he expected me to use my own brain. <laughs> you ever heard people say that? I'm going to tell you something. If the preachers would live by the principles that most church people live by, you would have no preachers. No preachers. At some point in our life, we had to face that. And said, it doesn't make sense, God. And we had to come to the conclusion that God is faithful. And there's no way that you're going to bypass that. No way. If I had to go there, you have to go there too. It's only fair. Amen. It can't be easy for you and hard for me. You understand that? All of us enter the land the same way. We do it by faith and we do it by believing that God is faithful. And trustworthy. He's worthy of my trust. Amen. And so faith is always based on the fact that the Lord is present in our decisions, present in our plan and in our journey. The Bible says, can two walk together except they be agreed in Amos 3 verse 3. That means you're not toting God along behind you. God is requiring you to walk with him. You're not telling him where to walk. He is guiding you where he is walking. Do you understand? And if you're not in agreement with him, you're going to go like this. You know what God's going to do? Continue doing what he's always done. See, you can't change God's mind. The Bible says his callings are without repentance. That means I could have said, you know, Lord, I don't really want to be a preacher. I don't like being in front of people. He says, well, that's too bad because I'm calling you to be one. Well, why don't you let me do something else that's less visible? <laughs> you know? He says, well, that's not what I called you to do. You can either walk along with me on this, or you can go your own way in the wilderness. Those are basically your choices. Follow the Lord or go to the wilderness. It's going to take faith to step across. Amen. But you've got to believe the Lord is there. You've got to believe he's faithful. The time that we decide, decide, this is why I take baptism very seriously. A lot of people don't these days. I maybe take it more seriously than most people. I still make mistakes, though. 
when somebody gets baptized, what, I'm, what I tell them is this, that you're making a decision of consecration here. This isn't just a religious rite. This isn't just something you do because everybody else is doing it or because someone else. Well, this is a decision you're making because I want to live by faith. When you get put in that water, it's a picture of how you, you, you have died with Christ. When you come up again, it's talking about a new life that he is living through you. But that new life living through you doesn't happen automatically, does it? You have to surrender. The Bible talks in, in the book of Romans, it talks about yielding your members as instruments of righteousness to him. So that means you can make a choice not to yield. You could be born again and still not yield. You can have Christ in your heart, but your members, your instruments are still being used for whatever you want them for. But there has to come a time in your life where you say, guess what? These hands I want to put within God's power to do what he wants to do with these hands and these legs and this body and where I go. That's why the Bible says uh, that, uh, <laughs> oh, Romans 12, verse number one. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Amen? Amen. That's what it is. I like these young men. That makes me want to preach harder. You know that, right? <laughs> you understand that, folks? Present your bodies. Oh, well, the Lord knows my heart. <laughs> the Lord knows your heart, and that's a pretty awesome thought. Don't say that too lightly. Because you may be trying to trick people around you because it's all in the heart. But the Lord knows exactly what's in your heart. And if you're not doing right, I'll guarantee you something. There's something wrong in your heart and the Lord sees it. The Lord sees it. It's an awesome statement. It's like somehow you think you know your heart better than God. The Bible says your heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? You don't know your heart. The Bible says that the Lord trieth the reins of the heart. He's the one that puts it to the test. He's the one that knows your heart. You don't go around and brag to everybody, oh, the Lord knows my heart. Sure he does, but you sure don't. And the only way I know my heart is what comes out of my mouth, what comes out of my feet. You understand that? People are trying to make excuses for why they're not doing the will of God. They say, well, the Lord knows my heart. The Lord knows it, and he knows you're wrong. And the only way you know your heart is by what you say and do. This week, what came out of your mouth is exactly what's in your heart. For from the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaketh. All the garbage that came out of you this week, that was directly from the pit of your heart, the center of your being. Amen. Is that convicting yet? This ought to help you. <laughs> because you know what? Most of our Christian lives, we're walking around deceived. <laughs> we're deceiving ourselves. That we're in the will of God when we're really not. We're wandering in the wilderness trying to, trying to tell everybody, oh, I'm in the promised land. No, you're not. <laughs> in order for you to be in the promised land, you have to put your foot in. You have to go forward. You have to trust God. You have to believe he's faithful. When the, when the tests of life come, you're not losing your religion. When somebody turns on you, you're not saying, well, then forget the church. <laughs> Folks, I've had people turn on me. You know what I say? I'm going to church. 
I'm going to keep on until Jesus comes. You're not going to dictate what I do with God's word. I'm going to continue to follow. If you don't want to follow, that's your business. But I'm going to keep following the word of God. And the church was bought with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a sacred thing. It's an honorable thing. And I love it with all my heart because he gave his life for it. And I will not quit on the things of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We're complaining and murmuring, I don't have this and I don't have that. Well, have you put first what you need to put first? Yeah. Amen. Even the babies are being amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes, amen. <laughs> all I'm saying is this, if you've been baptized, You may not have understood that, but I'm going to tell you something. You made a statement to the world that you are consecrated to the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do you get that? John 1 verse 28. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Isn't it interesting? The same spot that 1,500 years earlier that Israel crossed over is the very spot that John the Baptist started baptizing the people of Israel. And who did he see coming? The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus came there to be baptized. To the very spot that Israel crossed 1,500 years earlier. The place that's called the place of crossing. He knew in order for me to be taken seriously in the will of God, I have to start where everybody else starts. And then he went to John and said, John, baptize me. And John says, oh, <laughs> you ought to be baptizing me. I can't baptize you. He says, suffer it to be so now, for thus it fulfills all righteousness. That means through this decision and through this decision of, of going forward, the right way comes out of it. Now, I understand many of you, well, I didn't know that when I was baptized. I just got put in the water. (laughs) Amen. Do you understand there were times in Jesus' life where he was in Jerusalem and the scribes and the Pharisees started to put a lot of pressure on him. He had to slip out because he knew they were going to arrest him early. You know where he went? Back to Bethbara. You know what? He just went back to that place of crossing where 1,500 years earlier the people of God crossed reminded himself, this is my decision I made. We know that I've talked about this in the last little while in our study of Daniel, our study of Saul and Sunday nights, that memorial they set up. They took 12 stones, they put it at the bottom of the Jordan River, one representing each tribe. They took 12 stones with them six miles to a place called Gilgal and they set up another memorial there that the children after them could remember what took place in crossing over. In Joshua 5, 9, it says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the approach, reproach of Egypt from off you, wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day, because the word Gilgal means a rolling away. See, I crossed the Red Sea. I saw the victory that I have. I went on with life. I wandered for 40 years. 
because of a lack of faith. Finally, he says, you know what? I've had enough. I'm going to do right. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to put my foot in the Jordan. Lord says, you better set up a memorial there. And you know what? Even Saul, many times when he got afraid, he came back to Gilgal. What was that there for? It was there to remind them of the faith commitment, of the decision we're making now to walk in, in light of God's word and truth by faith, not according to our feelings or fear. And that's what Gilgal is all about. And you know what? Your baptism is the same thing. Your scriptural baptism is something you ought to look back and say, that day I made a decision. I'm going I'm to go into the promised land. I'm going to have Christ live his life through me. And I'm not turning back. And sometimes you're going to be scared and sometimes you're going to be hurt and sometimes people are going to attack you and they're going to betray you and they're called good Christians doing it and you're going to want to run back in the wilderness but you'll hit that memorial and you say, you know what? I made a decision about this. I'm not going back. The reproach has rolled away. Egypt is no longer in my thoughts. No longer in my heart. Now I live by faith. Oh, we need Christians to make that decision. I don't know if you've made that decision in your life to consecrate yourself to the will of God, but that is an important decision to make. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Oh, I'm going to die for Jesus. I'll die for you. If they came with a gun, I'd die for Jesus. He doesn't want you to die for him today. He wants you to live for him today. Don't talk about dying for him. If you're not living for him, you'll never die for him. You got that? There's a reason in some of these countries, I believe it's Romania, the soldiers came in and they held the gun to the heads of the Christians. Whoever here is not a true Christian can leave now. Half the church left. Here they're standing with the guns to the true believers, the one that lived the Christian life. Then they put their guns in the corner and says, now that we're rid of the hypocrites, let's worship God. If you're not willing to live for him, you'll never die for him. You're not going to step over into that Jordan. You're not going to die for Christ. You may not never have to die for him. Maybe you will. I don't know, but our admonishment today is about living. Is about living. I don't know where you are as a Christian, circling around, no joy, murmuring in the back tent. It's not normal, okay? Can I just get this out of the way? It's not normal for a believer to sit at home and criticize and, and murmur in their tent when nobody else hears you and thinking somehow that's a normal thing. That's an abnormal Christian life. There's no revival there. There is sin in your life. You need to repent of it and get right before God and step forward across the Jordan River. Yeah. Or one day the snakes may bite you. Don't let it happen. Do all things without murmurings and spitting. You need to stop yourself. When you start talking like that, say, just be quiet. We don't talk about that. You start talking the positive things of those people and say, I know it's easy to cut everybody. Everybody's got negative things. But what do we do? Let's really challenge ourselves. Let's talk about the positive things in their life. 
Let's talk about the blessings they have. Let's talk about how great things they've done. Not the bad things. Man, that would almost be like revival or something. Amen. Amen. Where are you? Jesus walked 60 miles to be baptized in the Jordan at that very spot by that very individual because there was a man sent from God whose name was John. That always blew me away in that passage. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. (laughs) There was a man sent from God, his name was John. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And there was a man sent from God, his name was John. Big. Universe. God. Earth. John. John. There was a man sent from God, his name was John. John is a gift. You're a John. God sent you to be blameless, harmless, as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. John, that's you. Shine as a light. Get past it, man. I'm afraid we're going to meet God. And our church stands before the Lord. It's just going to be a few that have entered in. And I don't want that. I'm tired of playing the game here. It's time for us to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. I know you're not going to be perfect. It's not about being sinlessly perfect. It's about you taking a step because you believe that he's real and he's faithful and in all your fear and doubt, you're going to say, Lord, I'm going to put that aside because I love you and I'm just going to do right because your soul's going to hell and Airdrie and in Calgary and until I get this settled, there's nothing I can do about it. Amen? That's where we're at. Hopefully you've left Egypt. If you're not saved here today, that's where you start. If you're crossing the Red Sea, you need to know you're saved. But you know what? If you've gone through that, you're standing on the precipice of the will of God. What's your decision? It's simple. The Lord does not complicate things. You just simply have to say, you know what? I've been living for myself. I've been doubting God. I've been making decisions that take me away from the things of God because I'm taking control of my own life. And I'm going to put it back in his hands and I'm going to do what God's asked me to do. And I don't know what that is for you. Maybe you do need to be baptized. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe that's a first step. Maybe that's that first memorial need to set up maybe you have been baptizing maybe you've been living your life by fear and maybe you haven't been doing the things of god maybe you've been allowing idols inside the land whatever it is the lord i'm sure will point it out to you this morning if you're honest with them let's bow our heads maybe
Maybe there's some murmuring going on in the tents. And you may not think that the people you're talking about can hear you. They can't. But God can. He hears every word. <clears throat> and what that is, it's an expression of your heart. It's showing you who you are. Oh, you need to take that seriously. You say, oh, Lord. Isaiah, when he saw God, he says, oh, Lord, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. He realized how much filth has been coming out of his mouth. And he says, Lord, please purge me. How can I be used by you? How can I do anything for God when there's such dirt in my heart? Please help me. And maybe today, you as a Christian, you say, Lord, I confess before you. Please cleanse me. Forgive me. I don't know where your heart is today. The Lord does. What's your decision? If you're here today, you'd say, Pastor, I need to be saved. I've never been born again. I've never trusted the blood of Christ for my salvation. And I just want you to pray for me. Is there one like that? Just slip your hand up and I'll pray for you. I see your hand, little guy. Anybody else? I see your hand. God bless you. If you've never received Christ, you don't know for sure if you died today, see your hand. You're not sure. Can I encourage you to put your faith in him? In your heart, you have to acknowledge that you're a sinner for the wages of sin is death. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you acknowledge that? Yes, God, I'm a sinner. Do you acknowledge that there's a penalty for the wages of sin is death? Death isn't just physical. Death is also a separation from God forever. There is a second death. After we die physically, it's appointed every man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. And that second death is called the lake of fire. That's where all that will have to go that are not saved will have to go there and be separated from God forever. But that's why you need to be saved. If you believe that you're a sinner and you believe that there's a penalty that you deserve for your sin, then can I tell you the good news? The good news is that God loved you so much. He sent a redeemer. He sent his son. And his son came to pay your penalty. He came to pay the debt that you owed. And that's why we celebrated at Christmas time. He comes born as a baby in a man's body so he can die like a man and be separated from his father. My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me, he said on the cross. Well, it's because of our sin. Because of our sin. He did that for you. Do you believe that Jesus Christ, who was God, came and died on that cross for you? And if you'd be the only person on this earth, he would have to go through the same thing, just for you. If you believe that and acknowledge that, 
the acknowledge that he rose again on the third day. Oh, that he came up miraculously out of the grave because death could not hold him because he is the perfect son of God. And he broke through. He's the only one that defeated death. And if you put your faith and trust in him today, you will follow that same path that he created, that same way to heaven, but it's only through Christ. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here, you'd say, you know what, I need to pray that prayer. I need to call to Christ today. I need to know for sure that I'm saved. Can I encourage you to pray something like this in your heart? Say, dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that sinners have to go to that place called hell. But I believe that you came. I believe that you came and died for me. And I believe that you rose again from the grave. And I'm placing all of my trust in you and what you have done for me. Please forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and save me right now. Did you just pray that? If you're here today, you'd say, Pastor, I just pray that from my heart today because I know I needed to be saved. And I meant that from my heart. And I just received Christ as my Savior. Is there one like that? You just raise your hand up so I can just rejoice with you. I won't point you out. I won't point you out. I see your little hand, son. Christian, <clears throat> where are you in your Christian life? Are you on the precipice? Are you wandering? Are you still way back at the Red Sea wondering if you've really got victory or not? Maybe you need to go to the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, I want to go forward for you. And if you've been baptized, why don't you say, you know what, I'm going to set up a memorial. Maybe if you need to be baptized, come and talk to me about it. We'll set up that memorial together somewhere you can circle back to your whole life and realize, hey, I made a decision to go into the will of God for my life and I've got it settled.